0: Have you been out birding? Outbirding with field guides is the new birding video series you've been hearing about. The latest episodes from Lima, Peru, Arizona, Brazil, Cape May, and the Prairie Potholes include adventure, conversations with fascinating bird people, and field pointers. Remember, even when you're at home, you can always go out birding with field guides. Join the fun at Outbirding.com/ABA. Hello, welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. In any normal, non-pandemic year, this would be the week of the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. One of the two or three biggest events on the North American Birding calendar and one that the ABA has been involved in since just about the beginning. Like so many things, it was canceled. But here, here's the fun part. They are doing an online festival, which, okay, you've heard this before, but you might remember last year, we did a live podcast taping and turned it into an episode. It was, in fact, a more or less blatant ripoff of the NPR quiz, Ask Me Another, but it was fun. You can listen to it back in the archives. We're doing something similar this time around, though, distantly, obviously. ABA president Jeff Gordon is hosting Harlingen Squares. If you remember Hollywood Squares, it's like that, but about birds. If you're too young to remember Hollywood Squares, ask your grandparents. So this game features birding luminaries as the squares, and by that I mean Jason Ward, Jeff Boughton, Clay Taylor, Hannah and Eric from the Hannah and Eric Go Birding podcast, Mary Gustafson, me, I am a square. I mean, you probably guessed that already. I do host a birding Podcast, but I mean actually one of the real squares in the game. And the best part, it is free. It, all their stuff is free this year. So you don't have to be in Harlingen to enjoy it. But let's be honest, wouldn't it be nice if we were? Fingers crossed that that glorious day is at last on the horizon. Anyway, it goes out November 13th, which is tomorrow if you listen to this podcast on the day that we release it. If you are late listening to this podcast, well, now you know not to be, but I'm sure it's still out there. Check out rgvbf.org, or Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival on Facebook, or any of the ABA's Facebook stuff will be sharing it. I can promise that it will be a lot of fun. On the show today, vultures, they carry a lot of unearned baggage. They like dead things. They have a discomforting appearance. They are extremely common, and perhaps... That ubiquity might breed a little bit of ambivalence, but vultures are fantastic and important and way smarter than you give them credit for. That is the message that author and bird rehabilitator Katie Fallon is making in her book, Vulture, The Private Life of an Unloved Bird, recently reissued by Brandeis University Press. She joins me to talk about vultures after this week's rare birds is your rare bird focus for the second week of november 2020 november continues with a handful of exciting records from all over highlighted mostly by western birds in the eastern part of the continent or montane birds sliding into the great plains one that fits that mold is kansas's first record of yellow-eyed junco in scott county this is a bird that is only regular in the aba area in southeast arizona and southwest new mexico so one in kansas Definitely a shock, but it occurs alongside Texas's 10th record of the species in El Paso, suggesting that there's definitely something going on there. There's also an eruption of sorts of yellow-billed loon into the Rocky Mountains and western Great Plains with at least two individuals in Colorado, two in Alberta, one in Wyoming, and one in Texas. The evening grosbeak movement hits a new high-water mark, or maybe a low-water mark, depending on how you look at the latitude, uh, with a bird in Sanford, Florida. It's in Seminole County, just north of Orlando. This is the all-time southernmost record for Florida, though not for the species itself, which can be found year-round in the highlands of northwest Mexico. In any case, this is Florida's third record of evening grosbeak speak for this fall slash winter, which is something else. On the border of Quebec and Ontario, near Ottawa, a taiga bean goose was discovered this week. This is the less common of the two bean geese in the interior of the continent, another data point for that hypothesis that the birding gods are repaying us for the closure of the Bering Sea rarity hotspots, and we thank them. Those are the highlights for the week. As always, for a more complete look at all the rare birds seen across the U.S. and Canada, check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning at aba.org rba, or you can go to our rare bird Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA rare or follow us on Twitter at ABA bird alert. Have you ever been in a situation where a non-birding friend comes to you with excitement describing this majestic soaring bird or an imposing figure perched on a snag or a cell phone tower and then, When you tell them it's a vulture, you watch that wonder sort of dissipate. (laughs) Why do vultures, arguably the most ubiquitous birds in North America, have such a mixed reputation? That is the question asked by writer and bird rehabilitator Katie Fallon in her book, Vulture, The Private Life of an Unloved Bird, recently reissued by Brandeis University Press. She is with me now. Katie, welcome. Great to talk to you again.
1: Great. Thank you very much for having me here, Nate. I'm excited to talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects.
0: Absolutely. So, like as a bird rehabilitator and educator, you probably work with a lot of different bird species. What makes vultures so special?
1: Oh, everything about them. <laughs> um, yes, I work with them. Um, a lot of different bird species in rehab. Um everything from hummingbirds and robins to, you know, owls and eagles, and vultures are my favorites. They just look at you a little bit differently than some mm-hmm. of the other birds that we treat. Uh, they also seem um, intelligent to me. Uh, they're different from other raptors because they're uh, social. They interact with each other. And they're just uh, amazing. At the, the job they do in the ecosystem is so important. And it's so um, overlooked and underappreciated. I mean, they really are ecosystem heroes for yeah. the public health uh, role they play.
0: When you have a vulture in your hand, what is something that perhaps a birder that is looking at them through binoculars at however whatever distance, what do what do what do we miss?
1: Well, uh the eyes. A turkey vulture's eyes are sort of a stony grayish brown color and you often can't see that when you're um yeah. you know on the ground <laughs> looking up at them.
0: You almost barely even see their head when they're flying around.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, they have kind of a small head and it, it's yeah. even even without the feathers on it it looks as Really tiny, um, but their eyes are really interesting, and they they sort of uh, they're not right on the front like an owl. They're more sort of on the sides, um, but they're very different from you know the, the huge eye of a of an eagle or a falcon. Um, they're a lot smaller. Um, a turkey vulture also has that amazing nose that you can look through one mm. nostril and right out the other, uh, and they have an excellent sense of smell. Um, and having that kind of nostril um, like that helps them gather the aroma of their food um yeah. <laughs> uh also up close um turkey vultures have sort of chicken feet which is something that you can't really see their feet when they're flying um or you can see them a little bit but uh their feet are very much like a big chicken foot it's a it's a flat foot their their helix the toe on the back um in a you know a golden eagle that helix is you Know amazing and fierce yeah, and huge
0: <laughs> and big, big old claw, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: and scary. No, and a turkey vulture, it's almost like a baby pinky toe, um, like it's <laughs> <laughs> like it's, I don't they they seem like they can't really use it. It's a uh, the rest of their toes are just very flat, um, so you can you can see when you're holding one looking at the feet up close that it's really not a bird equipped for killing or or grabbing and carrying things away. I mean, it stands on. On the ground and eats dead things
0: <laughs> yeah yeah because they eat those dead things people often think that they they probably smell like you know rotten food is that <laughs> is that true i guess normally they they don't they're probably pretty fastidious like all birds are
1: yeah they keep themselves very clean um you know we have two uh, non-releasable turkey vultures i at the center um where i work and uh they're very they preen all the time just like most birds uh they do um expel liquid waste onto their legs and feet um, as a way to help regulate <laughs> regulate body temperature called urohydrosis and turkey vultures aren't the only bird to do that but california condors do it other vultures um storks we usually call it an accident at my house when that happens but <laughs> but um uh they're very clean they don't so they don't smell like dead things uh unless they vomit um which is uh one of the most effective defense mechanisms um, that a turkey vulture has yeah i
0: think so yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works to deter people i mean it's a very it's very stinky and if that gets you know in your car or under your fingernails <laughs> or in your hair you know it's a very <laughs> it's a very difficult smell <laughs> smell to get rid of so yeah
0: that's the way it's supposed to be if it's using it as a deterrent. Yeah.
1: Yes. And that, it's, that happens when we get new turkey vultures in for rehab, um, Mm -hmm. unless they're, I mean, if they're emaciated, they're not going to vomit. They don't have anything. But, um, if it's a bird that was, you know, eating at a carcass and got hit by a car, uh, the first thing they do when you pull them out of the box for the veterinary exam is they throw up, you know, all over. (laughs) Um, so, it, it's effective for people. And um, my guess is if you, uh, if a raccoon or a coyote or something was trying to bother baby turkey vultures in a nest, it could also provide possibly a meal for that. Yeah for that other animal. I mean, I have a, a beagle uh, and I think she would definitely eat turkey vulture vomit. You <laughs> yeah. Know, she no, could. I have a duck too. You
0: know, I've see one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seen them eat worse. I'll so, just say that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think vultures have this, I, yeah, I don't want to say like bad reputation, but sort of ambiguous reputation?
1: Well, they are uh, a bit scary looking, at least we usually or often interpret them that way. Um, they're large, dark in color. They're sort of punching. Plus, even though, you know, I don't know many humans who eat live things. Um <laughs> That's a <good> so, point. <laughs> but but, but we've seem to find turkey vultures eating dead things sort of, you know, distasteful or disgusting. Even though, you know, we kind of do something similar. We cook it usually, but so I guess it's this eating eating dead stuff is kind of gross. And they can eat things that have been dead for quite a while and not get sick. They also are Uh, I think a little scary in that they seem to be, you know, remind us of death. So Mm -hmm. you see vultures and you think, you just associate them with death. You know, are they waiting for me to die? Um, Are they going to follow a dying person, you know, through the desert? Uh, (laughs)
0: Like in the cartoons. Yes,
1: in the cartoons, (laughs) which uh, turkey vultures don't do that. Um, They they don't follow dying animals. They uh, typically eat things that are about a day old.
0: It is funny. I I used to do um work as a as a counselor for a nature camp, uh here in North Carolina, and it, we we dealt with a lot of elementary and middle school age kids, and it'd be funny. Like you'd watch the vultures fly over, and they'd be like, "Oh, someone's gonna die," well, you know the way kids are, and you know it it turn it would turn into a great opportunity to kind of talk about vultures and be like, mm, "Yeah, guys, I don't really think they care a lot about you laying on the ground like you are," but
1: <laughs> yeah. And I've had, um, people send me photographs of, especially black vultures that don't, don't mind being around humans, um, yeah. as much as Turkey vultures. And I've had people send me pictures of, you know, 20 black vultures on their porch railing. And they, they said, Katie, you know, I know you like these birds, but am I, do they know something like, am I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, do they smell something? Yeah. Am I, Wait, are they waiting for me to die? Like, am I going to walk out and will they attack me? Um. And, you know, no is the answer to all of those (laughs) all of those questions. And the last time somebody um, sent me a picture like that, it turned out she was feeding um, outdoor cats.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) And they were eating the cat food.
0: Yeah. Well, they see. They're smart.
1: Yes. Yeah. Black vultures will eat uh, cat food, dog food, trash in open dumpsters. I mean, old meat that's been thrown away, even vegetables, pumpkins. Um, We have a black vulture um, at our center who likes watermelon. Uh, and <laughs> who our, doesn't i know well that's great <laughs> um hard-boiled eggs he eats the yellow part first uh, just <laughs> like my kids um so they you know especially black vultures will are very opportunistic and will eat you know more than just more than just dead things even though they are primarily um scavengers of dead animals they'll eat some vegetable matter and um kibble
0: <laughs> do you find any difference in sort of the i don't. Individual birds have different personalities, but do you find sort of general this difference between black vultures and turkey vultures just in the way that they uh, take to captivity or interact with people?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Turkey vultures are, in in general, and individual birds, you're right, are are different. But um, in general, the turkey vultures are um, more uh, shy, I guess, or or, um, timid, uh, a little bit more afraid. Uh, they they tend to sort of retreat, you know, kind of want to get as far away from us as possible. Hmm. And our our captive birds that that are are trained um and are you know, in theory like us a little bit. The turkey vultures are still um less outgoing. They're still huh. um when you put a new object uh, we give a lot of enrichment items to our birds, especially the vultures to to play with and to engage with. Um the turkey vultures almost always retreat. From whatever we put inside their enclosure, and it takes them a few minutes to like approach it slowly, look at it, you know, maybe poke at it with their beak, and then jump back. Um, where the black vulture, whatever we give him, he immediately runs to it, tries to put, jumps on top of it, like <laughs> knocks it around with his beak, chases it, yeah, flips it over. I mean, he's very interested in interacting with objects and wild black vultures will do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that sort of tracks with what I've seen, you know, with birds in a field.
1: Yeah, they even will play with soccer balls and stuff like that that kids leave around and um and uh, other, you know, uh, just objects they find.
0: So do you think this sort of general vulture, I don't want to say like phobia, but sort of uh I don't know, distrust <laughs> is part of the reason that vultures are having trouble in some parts of the world? I mean, I think North American birders are Frequently, kind of surprised when they hear that vultures are real conservation concern uh, in other parts of the world, in Africa and Asia in particular, because they are so common here.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think um, worldwide uh, there are twenty three vulture species, and I believe that sixteen of them. Maybe I'm. Maybe that's. Maybe it's thirteen. <laughs> I should look that up. Yeah, a, it's a fair a,
0: number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Regardless. It's a,
1: yeah are of conservation concern um, in the old world. India and Africa, and Southeast Asia in general, and Africa, um, there are quite a few species that are critically endangered, and a lot of it has to do with poisoning. And here in North America, um, our California condor, of course, is also critically endangered, and the biggest hurdle to the California condor's recovery is lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the in the um, Africa and Southeast Asia, the poisoning is is uh, not so much lead, but In Africa, sometimes poachers will kill an elephant or a rhino and then um, lace the carcass with uh, a toxic substance like carbofuran. Um, And and the intent is to, when the vultures land and they eat, then the vultures will die and not congregate in the sky to alert the authorities um, to to a poaching incident. Yeah. Yeah, they're awful. like a big
0: smoke signal. Yeah, yeah. definitely,
1: and that's really that's <laughs> terrible. And there have been some cases in Africa where, you know, dozens or even hundreds of vultures, some you know critically endangered vultures, have died, you know, at a single single carcass, hmm. which is really terrible. And then, um, in Southeast Asia, um, a lot of bird folks probably um, have heard about um, diclofenac, which is a veterinary pharmaceutical used to treat a wide variety of cattle ailments that uh, vultures would then eat if the cattle then died and the vultures ate the dead cow that had been treated with diclofenac the vultures would also die um hmm. and it's uh, now been banned in i believe india pakistan and nepal but uh four vulture species in southeast asia suffered dramatic uh, population crashes because of diclofenac and there are yeah. captive breeding programs now but they're you know, birds that aren't breeding until they're six or seven years old. Um, so right. it's just going to take a little while for those species to recover.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think is the reason that vultures in the Americas are doing so much better than vultures in the Old World? I mean, I guess we don't have the poaching situation, uh, right? Um, we still have veterinary medicine, although probably not diclofenac. But we never literally went, went through those sort of steep vulture declines. It feels like vultures are actually even increasing in a lot of parts of the of the of the continent.
1: Yes. It's interesting. Um, my husband's a veterinarian and if they euthanize Mm -hmm. an animal with drugs, um, that animal can't be sort of thrown in a landfill. Oh, okay. So there have been cases where shelter animals or something have been disposed of inappropriately and scavenging birds have eaten them and died, but it's not as common. It's pretty tightly regulated. So if you, you know, if you're euthanize a dog or a horse, even with drugs, um, yeah the way you have to dispose of that carcass protects the scavengers. Um, no, just good. Something else that's different between say Africa and um North and South America, so we lost a lot of our megafauna um at the end of the last ice age i'm yeah. like I'm like a middle school kid when it comes to the ice age like. <laughs>
0: I No, I love the Pleistocene. I it's love like, it, it's, yeah. It's, if I could go back to any period of Earth's history and explore, you know, obviously, safe from various predators. Yes. <laughs> I would probably go back to the Pleistocene yes. and check it out. And like all the bird species that we have now, plus all the crazy megafauna. Yes. Oh, totally, I'm, I hear you. Yeah, with I you.
1: mean, I I would love to go back to see all of that stuff. And yeah. And we lost a lot of it. And there were larger vulture species that might, sort of analogous with some of Africa's mm. really large vulture species so yeah um a lot of their pleistocene megafauna is still there it's still you know elephants and zebras and other stuff like that where a lot of ours you know is gone um so we had really big vultures <laughs> that would be you know bigger than the California condor and they are ex- extinct and the California condor you know almost went that went that way that's too. true that's a
0: good point yeah
1: so uh, the turkey vultures and black vultures are a lot more general than, you know, if you have a really, you know, a, a vulture with a 15 foot wingspan or something like that, it's going to need to eat something really big. <laughs> but if you're yeah. turkey vulture and black vulture, I mean, even a white-tailed deer is kind of big for you. Uh, yeah. And they often have to wait to get into those carcasses, um, where in Africa, if, if something like a, a zebra dies um it's got a really thick hide but they've got these big vultures that can come in and open it up and then yeah. the smaller vultures will kind of stand around and wait you know until the till the big the big bird comes in and opens the carcass so yeah. hmm. our eastern yeah, our, our eastern birds have to sort of wait often for um or find a way in <laughs> to something like a white-tailed deer but uh they can eat a lot of small animals i mean there's a lot of small animals um dying everywhere that turkey vultures and black vultures can eat so there's lots of food there's no shortage of food we've also built these wonderful interstate highways that <laughs> that that like serve up you know
0: small animal abattoir. <laughs> yes
1: and not not only do they serve up food they also are warm so yeah they uh warm air you know rises off these big roads and that provides an easy place for vultures to fly. Um, they don't like to expend a lot of energy flying. So as heat rises off the roads, um, the vultures can fly right along it and also eat. So it's kind of a, we've made it, a, a we've made the habitat really nice for turkey and black vultures. Um, and they the, both of these species have been showing up further and further north, um, like on Christmas bird counts uh, than they yes. have in the past, um, in part because probably we're, we're making it really nice for, for turkey and black vultures and as the climate gets warmer um, that also allows the birds to stay further north um, both species probably originated in the tropics and then sort of spread from there mm-hmm. so they're getting out of the cold is still pretty important for both um, both species but again we've got these awesome roads the, the uh, planets getting warmer and We've got bigger urban heat islands than we used to have, so yeah. uh, vultures can go hang out on rooftops and stay warm and even in the winter.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too, Like they take to uh, human structures to nest in really quickly too. And you know, when I think about all the common birds that I see around, uh, I frequently find bird nests, cardinal nests, robin nests, things like that, but I don't think I've ever found a vulture nest
1: well yeah it's 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 interesting, <laughs> so they nest they don't build a nest, they just nest in uh caves, cl- on cliffs, mm-hmm. um really big hollow trees, deer hunting tree stands they'll nest on <laughs> yeah. um, they've documented them nesting in cars and junkyards, uh haylofts, um, abandoned houses um it's black vultures will sometimes even just nest like right on the ground uh near under a brush pile. Huh. so and the the babies are um in the nest uh alone for once the parents aren't um incubating anymore the babies are alone for long periods of time and they're very quiet they have a different kind of um, searing so they don't really make any noise they just sort of hiss mm-hmm. so you can be walking right past you know a rocky outcrop somewhere that has a vulture nest and not even know it uh huh. it can be they, they're surprisingly uh Secretive for being such big birds, yeah, right, that create a lot of I mean they go to the bathroom a lot, I mean you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right you know you can sometimes see whitewash um you know on cliffs and stuff where there might be a, a vulture nest, but they're very secretive, um the vulture nests that I've um been in, I would not have known they were there unless I was looking, you know unless if I was just hiking, I wouldn't have noticed the vulture nest,
0: huh, that's interesting, so. As we're talking, the the remnants of Hurricane Zeta are passing through my area, and you can't hear it, but and and the people listening can't hear it, but the wind is like absolutely howling outside my oh. window. I kind of hope I don't lose power. But I just stepped out to look out the window, and we have these like sixty foot tall trees, kind of about a block away, and they're like waving back and forth really viciously. And the only bird, seriously, the only <laughs> bird that I see out there is a turkey vulture, and its wings are kind of half cocked, and it's heading into this really strong wind and kind of swinging back and forth. And I don't know if it can like look for food right now, so I always wonder if uh they're having fun in those situations because <laughs> what they're doing it looks like fun.
1: It does. And yeah.
0: I guess my question is um do you think they do?
1: Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, that <laughs> that that um you know, question of uh you know, are the birds enjoying it? You know, they cer I would certainly uh, if I could yeah, fly right. like that, I think it would be really fun. Um You know, it's tough when you hang out with animals a lot. Um, I always struggle with anthropomorphism and, Mm -hmm. you know, am I projecting too much onto these animals? But then I I often think, well, you know, we totally allow anthropomorphism with like our dogs and, you know, (laughs) our horses and stuff like that. We don't tend to, you know, frown upon it with wildlife. But I don't know. I mean, they're flying. I think it looks like fun. And I can tell you, um, our captive black vulture, when he plays with the toys that we give him, I, there's no, I don't know how else to describe it or explain it other than he's playing. We have these plastic, um, like ball pit balls that would be like in a, you know, ball pit at a kid place. Um, mm-hmm. and he, he likes the purple ones and the orange ones huh. and he'll like play fetch with them. Like you throw them to him and he will bat them around with his beak and chase them around. and. I don't know what, I mean, there's nothing in nature that would look like a purple ball pit ball. Um, (laughs) He doesn't eat it. He doesn't destroy it. He hits it with his beak and runs around with it. So I'm not sure. I can't explain the behavior other than um, it's fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Kitty Fallon is the author of Vulture, The Private Life of an Unloved Bird, recently reissued by Brandeis University Press. It is available wherever you can find books, on Beauty Books, on the big, famous book, uh, (laughs) depository that doesn't need any advertising from me, but, uh, you can find it, please check it out. It's a, it's really fun read. Uh, Katie, thanks you so much for your time. Uh, it's great to talk to you.
1: Yes. Thank you very much, Nate, and stay safe down there.
0: Yeah. Thanks. We'll do the best we can. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the free resources the ABA provides, Please consider joining us it does help us out especially in these kind of weird pandemic times we have memberships at a number of different levels i'm sure you can find one that works for you please get more information at aba.org join i want to make a special shout out to brian bullard of santa cruz california gerard duane of Drummoyne, new south wales I think that's in Australia and Simon Slick of Portland, Oregon. All of them recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who given the news of the week, probably should have replaced Harlingen squares with Jep birdie. RIP, Mr. Trebek. Technical production is by John Lowry, who worked long into the night, mocking up an elaborate spinning disc for teal of fortune but gave up after it became clear that there was no way to work in I want to buy a water vowel and if you can't do that why even bother additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley who advocated for the newly fed game which would have just been a webcam aimed at a feeding station covered in pine siskins you can find us online at aba.org on Facebook at facebook.com birders on Instagram at American Birding Association and on Twitter at ABA okay last year asked me another This year, Harlingen Squares. Next year, press your duck. Come on, no woodies, no woodies, no woodies, no woodies, no woodies. Stop! Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.ava.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.